let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we come to his word. Our gracious Father God, we thank you so much that you are the God who speaks and you speak for our good. And so please, in your kindness now, give us all ears to listen, hearts that long to know, trust, enjoy and live for you. Please help me in my weakness to speak clearly and faithfully as I should. And we pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Uh, Talk is cheap. Uh, That was the headline that was used multiple times just in the last week alone with regard to a number of key issues. Uh, Talk is cheap was the cry of protesters challenging the gun laws in the US after yet another mass shooting. Uh, Talk is cheap was the cry of many in our country with regard to climate change promises made by our own government. Uh, And almost humorously, talk is cheap was the slogan of pretty much all the campaigns of all the different parties in our recent federal election. Uh, And there's a sense in which you kind of understand what they're going for, right? We don't just want words and promises, we want action. But is talk actually cheap? Because although it's a, a common headline, a loved slogan that we hear all the time, we're also hearing all the time that actually our talk and our words do matter. In fact, more than that, they're influential and they're powerful. Uh, We see this in the constant calling out of keyboard warriors or online trolls who slander people anonymously or abuse others without accountability or any concern for what their words do. Uh, We see it in the battle against bullying in schools or even in workplaces or verbal abuse in the home. We even saw this recently when politician Tanya Plebisek was forced to apologise for throwaway derogatory comments she made about the appearance of another politician. And this is especially a constant problem in schools and for teenagers. Take this girl Olivia, for example. She's 19 from Roeville and she took her own life. Uh, Her parents, after the devastation of finding her, then went to social media platforms to let other people know of her passing. But as they shared this news, they found out that not only had Olivia been sharing her struggles online for quite some time, but that actually many of her peers and so-called friends had posted hateful comments urging her to take her own life so they didn't have to hear about it anymore. You see, far from cheap and insignificant, our words matter. Our words are powerful and influential. And Proverbs says exactly that. In fact, concern for words or speech takes up about 20% of the wisdom sayings in chapters 10 to 31 of Proverbs. In fact, according to Proverbs, the way we speak is one of the clearest and truest indicators of whether we are wise or not whether fear of the Lord is in our hearts. And so I wonder as we begin tonight, what is your attitude towards your speech? What do your words, whether they're spoken or typed, actually say about you? Do they say that you're wise and that you fear the Lord? 
that actually God being God shapes what you say regardless of what the platform is or who you are with. And I've put what Proverbs says about wisdom in speech essentially under three headings in your outline. The wise know the power of words, what wise speech looks like, and the way forward if we are to have wise speech. But as I said, with so much emphasis on speech in Proverbs, uh, we actually can't cover all of it. And I'd encourage you to read the whole book of Proverbs just simply with the desire to carefully understand and pay attention to all the times, our la- the, the language of lips and words and speech and answers are addressed. But firstly, wisdom in speech means knowing the power and importance of words. Proverbs 18.21, it's a kind of a key memory verse on this topic. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words have the power of life and death, huge impact, either for good or for ill. Think of the speeches of Martin Luther King and the movement that followed, or the rallies of Hitler and the absolute devastation that he led. But this is not just kind of on the big, it's also on the individual level. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips lead to strife and his mouth provokes a beating. 18.20, from the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. And this is the same as what we just heard in the powerful James 3 reading. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's placed among our members. It stains the whole body and sets the whole course of life on fire. It's remarkable, isn't it, how a reputation, a relationship, a career can be built over years and then lost in one moment by careless words. I think of the Adelaide footballer Taylor Walker. 14-year career, including the captaincy of his club, it counted for nothing when he was publicly ridiculed and suspended for a racist sledge. The wise know the power of words, not just on their own life, but also on the lives of others. Again, they can deeply affect other people, either for good or for ill. Proverbs 11.9, with his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous are rescued. 12.18, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, The movie Crazy Rich Asians, it is one of my favorites. Uh, It follows the relationship of Nick Young uh, and he's super wealthy, and then Rachel, who's working class with a single mother. Uh, As Rachel visits uh, Nick's traditional family for the first time, the movie kind of details her search for approval and acceptance from their traditional and skeptical family, but especially his cold and calculated mother and there's this very powerful moment in the movie where it seems like there's a breakthrough Uh, they've made some dumplings together and then Nick's mother has Rachel by herself and she shares a story of her own struggle to be accepted when marrying Nick's father and you can sense that Rachel is relieved and has appreciated this sharing until Nick's mother's ends the conversation with these words 
This much I know. You will never be enough. And the scene just finishes with Rachel left standing alone and shattered on the staircase. See, words can can pierce like swords. And I imagine that most of us actually don't need a movie or to be given examples to know this reality, where words that we have said or have been said to us, intentionally or unintentionally, have deeply offended, hurt, even crushed another or us. And sadly, this often happens with the people who are actually closest to us. Most of us have numerous examples where words we've said we regret, we wish we could take them back. And you know, this is such a common example and experience that Apple have actually put the ability to edit or unsend a message in their new operating system. Which of course sounds great, but of course it's an utter delusion because you cannot stop or unsend it from somebody already reading it. The wise know that words have the power of life and death. And of course, as Christians, as people who know the true and living God, we especially already know this. Our God speaks. He spoke all creation into being. And even now, he continues to speak, giving people eternal life through the life-giving words of the gospel, the proclamation, the words about Jesus and what he has done. Faith and salvation come by hearing words. And so wisdom in speech, fear of the Lord, will take our words very seriously. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct and perverse speech. Or listen to the words of Jesus. These are the words that our pastor Neil gave me the day before I preached my first sermon here. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. And so are you taking seriously the power and importance of words? Words are how we enter relationship, both with God and with each other. Words are how we can deepen those relationships or destroy them. Our words can bring healing and profoundly benefit others, or they can pierce like swords. They can crush and create controversy. A conviction that words matter may mean that there is a spectrum of how we might be responding and thinking tonight. Some of us will need to significantly change the way we speak, whether our words are often too hurtful, thoughtless, worldly, or just superficial. And there are some of us who probably need to value words by becoming better listeners. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. But still, there will be others who actually really need to start speaking up, who just leave it always to other people to fill in the blanks of what they're thinking or how they're going. Those of us who never encourage, never challenge, or never apologize. Because what wise speech looks like in Proverbs is broad and deep. 
We see this in the first point under section two. Wise speech is discerning. The wise know whether they should speak at all. Proverbs 13.3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life and the one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. 17.27, the one who has knowledge restrains his words and the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. There is a time for silence. Uh, If you know the book of Job, it's often said that the best thing that Job's friends do, perhaps the only good thing they do, is sit in silence with him and mourn as he grieves the devastation in his life. It's actually when they open their mouth to think they can give advice that things go completely wrong. Proverbs 10.19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Uh, If ever there was motivation for a short sermon... It's this proverb. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he got it. He said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. The wise know that there is time for silence, holding our tongue, just listening, or especially actually being someone that does not share everybody else's information. 11.13, a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. The wise are discerning about whether we need to speak at all, but then also about when and how they speak. 27.14, if one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. I suspect that needs little uh, explanation, And it's probably familiar to lots of you, especially if there are young kids involved. The wise are to, to be discerning about when is the right time to have a conversation, especially if the conversation is going to be difficult or is a subject that is awkward or is addressing hurt. And sadly, this has been all too common for Christians to be really bad at this. Quoting Romans 8.28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, even though that's true and good news, it might not be the best thing to say to someone as they grieve the bad news of a health diagnosis or of recent unemployment or the death of a loved one. Now, there is, of course, the opposite too, a word of warning to those of us who conveniently find that the right time just never comes up. We never find the right time to address that person that deeply offended us. The right time to apologize or acknowledge the hurt that we caused, well, that never comes up either. And especially for lots of us, the fact that it just never seems to be the right time to talk to our friends or colleagues about Jesus. The wise are not to be passive or cowards or people pleasers, but to think before speaking, Proverbs 15, And to know, 25 uh, 25 verse 11, a spoken word at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. See, the right word in the right context is of immeasurable value. And so the wise are to, to be discerning about their speech. But secondly, the wise are honest. 12.22, lying lips are detestable to the Lord but faithful people are his delight. 
Now, this should come as no surprise to God's people. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 that lies are the domain, the native language of the devil. He is the father of lies. Honesty is also to be the hallmark of God's people. You see it, Zephaniah 3, Revelation 14. And yet I'm sure that for lots of us here right now, we are very comfortable with lying. Think about it, right? It's convenient. It enables us to escape conflict or consequences. And most of all, it's easy and seemingly so insignificant. We can easily justify it. I wasn't lying, it's selective sharing. I was withholding information or just being slightly misleading. So what's the big deal with lying? Uh, Paul Tripp, he asks and answers that exact question really helpfully. He says, why is lying such an abomination to the Lord? Because every lie is rooted in idolatry. I lie because there is something more important to me than the honour and will and plan of God. You see, lying is about idolatry. It's a self-serving form of speech that has no concern for God, no fear of God, and especially no concern for others. We heard it in our reading, 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Or 10.18, lying is how you conceal hatred. Lying should have no place among us as God's people, not to each other, not to your employer, not to the tax office. It doesn't matter whether it's in person or online or even on a form. The wise are honest, even if there's a cost, and especially if what needs to be said is hard or confronting. 28.23, the one who rebukes a person will later find more favour than the one who flatters with his tongue. 24.26, he who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. It's a graphic image, right? The wise speak the truth out of love and concern for the one listening. Think of the countless people who have gone on reality TV convinced they are the next Beyonce or Gordon Ramsay. Uh, only to be rejected by the judges or defeated by another contestant. And the kind of, it's always a pattern. They're so baffled, they're angry as they leave the show because mum, a sibling, a partner, a friend never spoke up to just say, look, you can't sing and your cooking's not that great. See, honesty would have actually prevented them from learning that in such a public and probably humiliating situation. The wise are honest, not blunt, not thoughtless, but discerning and gentle, but honest nonetheless. And see, honesty is so vital for our life together. Honesty is not saying that you're fine and then complaining that no one understands how you're really going. Honesty is telling people when they've done a good job and they've actually encouraged you. Honesty does not just call out the fault and sin in others, but actually admits the fault or the wrong that we have done. Honesty acknowledges when we've been greedy or harsh or selfish. And we're to be committed to honesty with each other because the wise speak not simply what's easy, 
But point three, what builds others up? See, because words are so powerful and influential and important, the wise are to wield their words for the good of others. We see this, Proverbs 31 verse 8, the wise, they speak up for those who have no voice, for justice of those who are dispossessed to defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. See, our words are to be used for the good of those who need it, who can't speak for themselves or those voices who aren't being heard. Whether it's the unborn or the refugee, the abused and the manipulated and the marginalised in our society, for those who are suffering or persecuted, whether they are overseas or around us. But using our words is not just in the big, but also just especially in our regular relationships. Listen to wisdom, 1225, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. 1523, a person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word, how good is that? 1624, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to taste and health to the body. Help for anxiety, calming and comforting, health giving, words given for others can truly build up and encourage profoundly. Wisdom in speech is not simply about holding our tongue and avoiding saying the wrong thing, but taking the initiative to speak up and speak words that build up. Have you actually ever met somebody that gets tired of being encouraged and acknowledged? Is there a Christian that doesn't need a reminder of God's goodness and grace, his presence and love? They don't exist. And it's why this form, this particular form of wise speech is urged in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.29, a favourite of parents. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. But we actually have to see, right, that this takes place only when there is thought and intentionality. And most of us know and have experienced it, right, that hurting or offending others happens so often without us realising or intending it. Thoughtless or inappropriate words, they just slip out with no awareness of the damage they cause. And yet most of us also know that rarely does it go the other way where our words have accidentally, unintentionally encouraged and built up and spurred someone on. Now, in God's kindness, it does happen. But as Ephesians tells us, speaking words that build others up actually needs to take into account their needs. It's why in Hebrews 10, when the author calls us not to just spur each other on, he doesn't just say, be encouraging. He says, consider how to spur each other on. There needs to be an intentional effort to know and to understand each other so that our words would benefit those who listen. You see, there has to be a depth and an authenticity about our friendship and then our words. And so as God's people, we won't use our words to be sly attempts to veil our frustration. We won't resort to passive-aggressive texting. 
We won't use our words to just vindicate ourselves and lower others. And this is especially case when there has already been hurt and conflict. Because as a community of believers, as a church, or just in our friendships and especially in our marriages, hurt will be a reality. Whether it's words and actions or lack of words and inaction, there is always going to be tension and conflict and the need for apologies and reconciliation. Proverbs 25.15 A ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break a bone. How many conflicts, heated arguments could be softened or ended through the simple initiative of the words, I am sorry. Yet far from simplistic, this is both powerful and effective. I was wrong. I was in the wrong. I am sorry. Yet so often this is uh, the last resort or sometimes even foolishly qualified, I'm sorry you were hurt. I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry you're so sensitive. You see, the wise know the power of a gentle tongue. We are not to speak to vindicate or uh, justify our behavior and our sin, but we are to acknowledge it and confess it to God and to each other. And in a congregation this size, I know that this is surely not hypothetical, right? Many of us, for sure, have been more concerned for our reputation and just being right, that we have refused to apologize, refused to acknowledge our own fault and sin, and especially refused to reconcile. But if you are a Christian here tonight, you need to see, you need to hear, it is sub-Christian. The foundation of belonging to Jesus and being part of his people is acknowledging sin. Why then do we not do it as a community of his people? Proverbs 12, 18, again, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are you in conflict right now with another believer? Is there hurt, anger, tension that has remained unspoken, unacknowledged? Have you kind of defaulted to what's easier to avoidance, bitterness, rather than honesty and repentance? See, our words, they can hurt and divide but they can also reconcile and unite. This is why Proverbs constantly condemns gossip. 16.28, a contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. 26.20, without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. But sadly, Christian community is never immune from gossip and slander, especially of its leaders. And far from small and insignificant chatter, we need to understand it destroys churches. Uh, An American pastor, Ray Ortland, says in his commentary on Proverbs, we often see words as little sins, 
small lapses in concentration. Yet the tongue divides God's people more than adultery or greed. He says, do you know how many people it takes to split a church? Not half the congregation, just two. One to start spreading the fiery negativity and another not to confront the behavior as the sin it is. So are you engaging in gossip? Seeking it, promoting it, or just uncritically listening to it? It's not harmless chatter, it's not a bit of fun, and it's certainly not necessary venting. It breaks relationship, unhinges community, and damages the church. In our life, in our unity, and in our witness. And this is especially the case because Proverbs shows us that we actually have such better things to talk about and to say to each other for our benefit and for the benefit of others. You see, in Proverbs, wisdom, it's personified as a woman and she's constantly speaking and calling out for people to listen. We see it, Proverbs 8, Proverbs 22. And the wise are to listen to her voice, then speak wisdom themselves. And as Christians, we know more than Proverbs. We know that God's wisdom is not just written in Proverbs, but beautifully displayed in the life of Jesus. Paul says in Colossians 2, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as people who know Jesus, who know God's wisdom in him, we should then speak about Jesus, God's wisdom. This is actually meant to be the hallmark of Christian community. Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth in love. And he doesn't mean speak true things in a loving way, but actually speak the truth of the gospel out of love. To speak of who Jesus is, what he has done, is doing, will do, who he has made us to be through his death and resurrection. Speaking of Jesus, it's how we persevere, how we mature as believers. It's what unites us, encourages us and grows us. But especially the wise speak of Jesus because that's how people find out about eternal life and have relationship with God. Proverbs gives these really beautiful hints that are then made really clear in the New Testament. Proverbs 10 verse 11. He says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Or 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life. See, the tree of life, that takes us back to Genesis 1. Life in perfect unity and harmony with God in the garden. A life that our sin has destroyed and left us facing God's judgment. But now through words, as we speak of Jesus, speak the gospel, people find life, access to God and forgiveness. But I suspect most of us know this, right? It's obvious. But we find it so unnatural. For some reason, we default to talk about anything other than Jesus. Just take church. We, we gather and sing God's praises. We hear God's word. We pray together, then move into supper. The magic happens and we talk about anything other than Jesus. Weather, sport, the quality of our coffee and TV shows. It was devastating just a week ago to hear of a brother here at Bundy 
who shared of his grief of not being able to find a single person willing to engage with him, his thoughts and questions about the sermon over a cuppa. But sadly, Proverbs actually anticipates this. 2015. He says, There's gold and a multitude of jewels, but knowledgeable lips are a rare treasure. Speaking the truth in love. Focusing our conversation on Jesus to spur each other on. It's not the optional extra for our gathering, whether it's here on a Sunday or your Bible study group or even just having a coffee with a friend. It should be our goal and highlight. And yet we're so content to say, it just never came up. Wise speech should be discerning, honest, build others up and Jesus-centered. And so how is your speech going? Uh, I must confess, as someone that's prone to sarcasm, excellent at joking, this sermon has been humbling and convicting and exposing to write. Uh, The verse that Bell read, 26.18, it's often on my mind or even quoted to me like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows So is the person who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. In this last week alone, as I've written this sermon, I've been so aware of my harsh words with my kids, my careless words to my wife, my willingness to withhold encouragement from anyone really and to just default to what is superficial Examples of my failure to be wise in speech and the conviction of my need to change and to repent has been in all of these areas. But I suspect that I am not alone. The conviction and awareness of sin in our words, I'm sure, is on our minds right now. Whether it's in the failure of what we have said or maybe especially in what we should have said but didn't. And so what is the way forward for the wise? How do we address our words and change? Because it might surprise us, the answer is not change your speech. It's actually diagnose your heart. You see, Proverbs is not advocating for people to become regurgitators who have the right words like a trained parrot. 26.9, the proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a stick with thorns brandished by the hand of a drunkard. You see, having words or new words to say, they're not helpful, they're dangerous to you and to anybody else. Proverbs doesn't just say change your words because it actually knows we can't. Our words reflect and come from our heart as a reflection of who we truly are. 16.23, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. Jesus says the same thing too. Speaking of the Pharisees, he says, this people, they honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their worship is in vain. See, Jesus has no interest in lip service when our hearts are far from him. Matthew 12, how can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks 
from the overflow of the heart. You see, this is so helpful because it means we won't just leave here tonight and simply think, oh, I need to do better with words. You should ask, what do your words say about you? Why do we find apologies and reconciliation so hard? Why are we so slow, even perhaps unwilling, to encourage and build other people up? Not because we don't know what to say, just because actually we don't want to. So often we actually enjoy our poor speech. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to the inmost parts. You see, Proverbs is saying there's kind of a certain joy and excitement to slander and gossip, right? Proverbs is saying it's like eating popcorn chicken or a delicious arancini. They're just like these little satisfying morsels that we just happily keep snacking on because we find them so satisfying. It's actually quite revealing, isn't it? And so far from accidental or just the slip of a tongue, our unwise speech is actually about false loves and false priorities. When we think hard about it, we actually enjoy hurtful and vindictive words, particularly if we get away with it. We're selfish, we're self-absorbed, we're self-seeking often unwilling to let people know us or just be vulnerable enough to say we were wrong or that they hurt us or even even just to say that they genuinely encouraged us. I've seen this in my kids, right? For some reason, saying sorry is equally difficult to saying thank you. We just find it so uncomfortable. And so the way forward is not memorizing some proverbs and inauthentic good words to say diagnose the heart and ask what is it that is stopping me from unwise from wise speech and it is true that we need to realize that most of the unhelpful things we say most of our hurtful speech begins with an uncritical thinking in our own heads we brood and we stew on things we convince ourselves of their false motives but never talk to them Never seek the counsel and wisdom of others. We should ask tonight, what are your words? What are my words saying about my heart? And although it is far more confronting, it's far more helpful. As we examine our hearts, we must secondly actually then guard our hearts. What we actually let influence us. Proverbs 17.4 a wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Proverbs 19.27, if you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. 38, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. You see, we had to keep out falsehood and unwise speech but then also let wisdom in. 133, whoever listens to me, that's wisdom, will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. 2.2, listen closely to wisdom and directing, and directing your heart to understanding. 8.33, listen to instruction and be wise, don't ignore it. You see, that's why I've given you all the references and more in your handout. Listen to Proverbs for the good of your heart. 
and be wise. Knowing the power of words will know that we are influenced, we are shaped by what we watch or who we listen to or the people we surround ourselves with. We have to guard our ears to protect our heart. But because we live this side of the cross, because we have more wisdom displayed than just Proverbs, we have it in Jesus, we have to thirdly and finally run to him, make it all about him. You see, Jesus is, of course, the ultimate example of wise speech. He proclaimed good news. He spoke up and defended the poor and needy. He declared truth to those in power, even those who were seeking to kill him. But see, in Jesus, we don't just simply find an example, but comfort. Comfort for our hearts and power that will change us. See, Jesus is one that who has, he's heard every word that you've said. Every word that you've failed to say. He's seen the heart that hates or envies or is jealous, yet he still welcomes you. As we look and listen to Jesus, see, we're not uncritically embraced, but we are embraced and safe. Because from the agony of the cross, Jesus speaks words of forgiveness Through his living and enduring word in the gospel, we are born again and receive new life, 1 Peter 1. Jesus says in John 17 that it's by God's word that we're sanctified, that is transformed to be more like him. It's as we look and listen to Jesus, his word works in us to renew our minds and conform our character. As we go to Jesus in his word, we don't just find do better, but real forgiveness for the words we shouldn't have said and the good words we failed to say. You see, do better will never undo the consequences of your words. But Jesus in his death can forgive it. Go to Jesus. Ask him to change your heart as you confess your sins of your mouth. In Jesus, we receive that forgiveness, but also real power. Not the regurgitating of the right thing to say, but comfort and change in our hearts by his word and spirit that will then overflow in our speech. This is not a kind of quick and easy fix, Nor is it transactional, as if you kind of put in enough right words from Jesus, the new speech comes out. It's sometimes slow, often difficult, but the always present work that God does in his people by his spirit as we listen to his word. And so as God does his work in us and for us, then through us, I think we should take the word of God and regularly pray with the psalmist. It's the verse that I've put at the bottom of your handout. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm going to pray that for us now.
Father God, we thank you that you speak. You speak to us and that in your word we do not find do better, but words of comfort, forgiveness and hope. Father, we pray that you would work in us now to challenge our hearts, to love what you love, to hate what you hate. Grow in us a love for Jesus, your wisdom displayed, so that as we look to him, listen to him, the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts really would be acceptable and pleasing to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.